You are listening to the Next Best Picture podcast, and this is our review of Birds of Prey. Can I help you? Why, yes, yes, you can. I'm here to report a terrible crime. And what terrible crime is that? This one. Ah, shit. I told this all wrong. Quick history lesson. This all started when the Joker and I broke up. It was completely mutual. And soon enough, I was back on my feet, ready to embrace the fierce goddess within. Shh. <laughs> it's oh so quiet. Now that I cut ties with Mr. J, I'm about to learn that a lot of people You're want me dead. All alone. And at the top of that list is this guy. And so peaceful. But it turns out. That wasn't the only dame in Gotham looking for emancipation. You fall in love. He's after all of us. We can't just rob him. You betrayed him. You killed his BFF. What? You are so cool. You never. And you're dumb enough to be building a case against him. So, unless we all want to die very unpleasant death, we're going to have to work together. Psychologically speaking, vengeance rarely brings the catharsis we hope for. Yeah. Are we ready? You blow up Named him Bruce after that hunky Wayne guy. <laughs> All right, everyone, you were just listening to the trailer for Birds of Prey, and the story is as follows. It's open season on Harley Quinn when her explosive breakup with the Joker puts a big fat target on her back. Unprotected and on the run, Quinn faces the wrath of narcissistic crime boss Black Mask, his right-hand man Victor Zaz, and every other thug in the city. But things soon even out for Harley when she becomes unexpected allies with three deadly women, Huntress, Black Canary, and Renee Montoya. The film is starring Margot Robbie, Mary Elizabeth Winstead, Journey, Smollett Bell, Rosie Perez, Chris Messina, Ella J. Basco, Ali Wong, and Ewan McGregor. It is directed by Kathy Yan. Written by Christina Hodson. Joining me for this podcast review, I have Nicole Ackman. Hi, everyone. And Dan Baer. I am here, even though it's the afternoon, eating a breakfast sandwich. (laughs) That was the best cinematic breakfast sandwich I think I've ever seen in my entire life. Of all time. (laughs) Seriously. And, like, I'm not a huge fan of eggs, but that was, like, ooh, that looked good. It was pretty incredible. Uh, There is a lot uh, in this movie to, you know, definitely gush over for sure. A little bit of context here, though. This is a uh, sequel, not a sequel, reboot. I don't even know at this point what DC is doing right now uh, because they just had such an odd beginning to the DCEU um, with Suicide Squad and a couple of other films. And I, I mean, I, I don't think it's fair to say that they really, really dropped the ball in rolling these films out. I think they were trying really, really too hard to copy what Marvel did and play catch up way too quickly instead of just kind of doing their own thing uh, where more recently I think we're kind of seeing that now a little bit more where they are starting to go their own way tell their own kinds of stories and with Birds of Prey there's definitely a direct contrast in terms of um, its tone and its feeling uh, along with uh, Suicide Squad which went a more uh, darker route both films are still silly in my opinion, but I think Birds of Prey is a noticeable improvement over Suicide Squad, at least in further cements that there are still uh, creative visions to be had within the comic book uh, universe. Let's um pass it over, though, to Nicole. Nicole, what did you ultimately think of Birds of Prey? Or, as uh, some, uh, are, I'm sure, want to hear me call it at some point, Birds of Prey and the Fantabulous Emancipation of One Harley Quinn. <laughs> <laughs> Greatest 
movie name of the year, BT Dubs. <laughs> if if it was a short, it could win an Oscar off of that name. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so I actually am not super well versed in the DC Comics universe. I'll admit that freely. Um, and so going in, I wasn't really entirely sure what to expect, but was hoping for something that was fun. I went to see it with some um, coworkers of mine last night and was hoping for, you know, a good time. And it certainly delivered on that. I think this movie is super fun. It's very um, kind of outrageous and, yes, fantabulous and kind of in your face. I thought they did a good job of having, you know, some really fun violence sequences without it feeling um, kind of too over the top. Um, I love the costuming. I think that Margot Robbie is super fun as Harley Quinn. But I also have to say I was very impressed by the rest of the cast. And I'm really excited that Ewan McGregor, like Hugh Grant, has discovered that he works really, really well as a campy villain. Um, And that's something that I'm always, always down to see. And I think he really delivers here. So, yeah, I mean, obviously this isn't like reinventing the wheel, but I do think it's a really fun film and really worth people going out and seeing it. So I was, I was, uh, it, not only met my expectations, but it exceeded them. Okay. Dan Bear, what about you? Um, Mr. I love uh, comic book movies, DC, etc., etc. <laughs> Look, I'm just happy that comic book movies can be fun again. Because there has been a long period where they've been overly dark and more serious than they have to be. I th- Thank you very much, Christopher Nolan. Yeah. And like <laughs> why I hate those movies. And even I think the Marvel movies recently, they've just been like they've been in my mind sort of like straining for this emotional relevance that they actually didn't have to, I think. Um and <laughs> Birds of Prey is just like, no, we're going to put these fun characters together and just have fun with it. There's no, there's no big emotional hook. There's no flailing about for relevance. It's just, it does everything it does naturally and it does it really, really well, I think, but mostly it's just a fun time at the movies. And you know what? That's all I need. Especially for February when, Honestly, yeah. we're not asking yeah. for much. <laughs> yeah. No. I mean, like, compared to the other movies that I've seen recently, <laughs> this is, like, Oscar-worthy. But <laughs> Careful, Dan. Joker is nominated for 11 Academy Awards. You might uh, get what you ask for next year. <laughs> I, you know, I would be much happier if this was nominated for 11 Academy Awards. Especially costumes. <laughs> well, let me break it that down actually a little bit here because uh, as much as there is to praise about this, I do have some qualms and I think it's best that we just get them out of the way early. Um, there are, for me, a number of moments in this movie that um, the level of over-the-top uh, humor uh, strained me just ever so slightly sometimes where I'm just like, this is just silly at a certain point. And um, I was trying to get a grasp on what the tone of the movie was. I mean, I, I did eventually settle into it, and I finally realized what kind of a movie it actually was. Um, but, you know, for a little while there, I'm like, is it trying to be like an edgy, hard R, like, um, you know, Deadpool? Or like, like what what is what's going on here, you know? Um but I didn't think that, that that was so much a knock by the end of it. I think, uh, it, it, like I said, it really, really found its identity and it knew exactly what it wanted to be by the end, especially um, because once you decide to go that route, you can then have some very imaginative, fun uh, moments like Nicole was bringing up, such as like there is a moment towards the end of the film where a villain gets disposed of in a way that was shocking and pretty freaking awesome, all things considered, you know? Um, mm-hmm. So you get you get like, interesting moments like that uh when you decide to go uh this route like the glitter gun yeah the glitter gun was so fun i loved it <laughs> everything with the fun gun was yeah. amazing yeah the fight choreography 
Um, the way that uh, slow motion was utilized in this, I, I, I can't deny that it was uh, pretty well done at times. And I was really, really here for how much this movie was committing to its visual aesthetic mm-hmm. um, and how much it was really having a playful time with it instead of getting really, really bogged down in trying to make things so serious. Like you said before, Dan, it's not a serious movie by any means. It's just girls want to have fun. <laughs> to borrow <laughs> a uh, to borrow a lyric there. Heyo. So, but I mean, like, then there were things like, uh, like I said, uh, there's this whole subplot involving something about the golden lions. Uh, I'm like, what happened there? That that kind of goes nowhere. And then there's um, one moment in the movie where uh, Margot Robbie, Harley Quinn is fighting a character one-on-one who is drunk, by the way, and she can dispose of, like, 20 goons, no problem, but all of a sudden she can't fight, like, one character who is inebriated? Come on, give me a break. You know, there's, like, little tiny things like this throughout where I'm just like, this is just silly and stupid. But, but, I, like I said, everybody in this movie... I think knows exactly what kind of movie they are trying to make and they are all committed uh, to it and they're all at the same level. It's not just Margot Robbie delivering a crazy over-the-top performance. Everybody else is doing the exact same thing and everybody is there to meet her. Like Nobody then feels out of place. And then as a result, why should we be as an audience? I do think that the screenplay is probably the weakest thing about the film. Um, and I will say in the beginning, I was trying to like keep up with the timeline because there's some weird time shifts and, um, you know, no changes to, uh, hair or coloring to help you with that. Well, thank God it gets explained later because I, I too, Nicole was struggling the first couple of minutes of the movie. Right. And I find it kind of just like, okay, wait, do I actually need to understand it? Like, (laughs) I don't know that I do. Um, and it, it does sort itself out, but it can be a little bit confusing, um, and that, that is, I think, one of the, the things that the film struggles with is kind of how everything is set up at the beginning. And like you said, there are some parts that felt like that whole golden lion thing. I was like, um, where is that going? Nowhere? Exactly. Okay. Yeah. Um, my other big problem with it, and I'm sure, Dan, you can probably speak to this as well, is I think that there is something a little bit weird about how they have queer coded Ewan McGregor's character. Um, Roman without ever committing to the idea that he's gay. Oh, I had a whole section devoted to (laughs) Ewan McGregor that I was going to get into, but this is definitely one of those points. Absolutely. Yeah. It kind of harkened back to that, like feeling of like, um, uh, where gay characters were, um, portrayed as villains in movies like in the 2000s and 90s and maybe even dating before that. And it kind of just felt tired and old and, I, I don't know. I wasn't a fan of it. Dan, what did you think? The um, the queerness of this movie was by far my biggest problem with it. Um, in addition to the narrative tricks, tricksiness of the first 15 minutes or 20 minutes or however long it was. The first act. Um, because it just... It, it even makes a point of saying that um, Ali Wong's character is Renee Montoya's ex-girlfriend and then proceeds to do absolutely nothing with it. Right. For the, like, it, she's not, there's nothing about it, her character, their relationship, anything that is queer in any way. And then, <laughs> meanwhile, in the male side of things, Ewan McGregor and Chris Messina have <laughs> clearly dug into the subtext that these two characters are fucking gay as hell and are just having a blast with it. But the script is like afraid to really go there. It's like, well, we're going to do this and it's going to be over the top and camp, but ooh, ooh, I don't know if we can go fully gay with it but i mean maybe maybe it's a r rating like what are they afraid of it's like exactly what are they afraid of right even if they were afraid to you know show a lot you know or 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 try and because i i do understand that in some ways like you don't want to humanize um the characters maybe by showing like a more of a relationship than than they already did but even there's so many times where it's like oh that's his bestie 
And I was like, there's so many other words you could have put there and just committed to the idea that they're a thing. Why, like, why couldn't they yeah. be like uh, Gaston and LeFou, you know? Like, <laughs> yeah. just have yeah. us read into it. Don't give us these subtle things in the movie that make it obvious, but then you kind of half-ass it. Yeah. Um, yeah. The other thing about Ewan McGregor's character, and uh, this is like actually my final negative point of the whole movie, actually, so I'm glad to just get this out of the way now, is <laughs> there's one scene in the movie that I found to be completely unnecessary, and it's a scene where he um, dehumanizes uh, a female character by making her strip uh, publicly in front of everybody. And the reason why I had such a problem with the scene was because, one, it served no narrative function. Um other than to highlight that which we already knew about the character, uh, Black Mask, and that he is a sadistic uh, human human being. You know, there's a uh, torture scene early on that later becomes like an execution scene. And that tells us everything that we need to know about what kind of a guy this is. Why then do we need this very uncomfortably long uh, scene later on with a character that doesn't show up later and literally, like I said, has absolutely no consequences of any kind on the Black Mask character? Like, it just, it was pointless. Yeah, I do. It's it's a weird scene to sit through because it does feel suddenly um, a bit more real, I think, than than some of the rest of the movie. And I do think in terms of narrative purpose, at least for me, it seemed that um, the purpose kind of was to to turn one of the other characters against him more um, because the character of, of Black Canary is kind of, um, you know, working alongside him obviously doesn't think he's a great guy, but I think that kind of is a turning point for her. Fair, But okay. I will say that I really admire, and it feels like the kind of thing, um, and not I'm not saying this about all male directors, but I think that with a male director, a movie like this, typically you would see a lot more than you saw. I really admired the way yeah. that Kathy Yan shot this and that while it's obviously a very uncomfortable scene, um, you never actually see much of the woman. You see kind of like, you know, the upper part of her bra, a little bit of the skin of her stomach, but it didn't feel like it exploited the actress. And it, it felt very yeah. um, safe as a viewer, uh, especially in a movie that's rated R. There's there's very there's basically no nudity happening in this scene. And I really admired that about it, that as much as it I agree, it, it did feel a little bit weird, and maybe unnecessary. But I also felt that it was handled in the best possible way it could have been. Well, at least there's that. <laughs> yeah. So, like, I guess, again, it comes back to that's an issue I have with the screenplay, but not the direction. I thought it was actually directed. That's fair. Well. I actually think the whole movie is really directed uh, well in that regard. Um, I Like I said before, uh, and yay, positives. Let's uh, move over to positives. <laughs> I think the vision of this movie um, in regards to, like I said before, it's visual aesthetic, it's tone, which, like I said, it takes a little while to get there, but once you get there, you're, you're very much there. And... The you know the costumes were brought up before things like that. Um, the 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 decision to have the final uh, showdown, if you will, take place in an amusement park. So there's like a lot of interesting art direction choices going on as well. I, I just think that this movie overall, like for a February release, is definitely um, one cut above the rest of the crop of movies that I'm sure we're all gonna watch over the next couple of days. Um, this one at least has a degree of creativity behind it that I. Really really appreciated. Absolutely. And I think it's very mm -hmm. impressive because I was looking at um, Kathy Yan's filmography and this is only her second film that she's done. Um, yeah. She'd done some shorts before and it's her first, you know, major, um, uh, you know, studio film. And I think it's a really impressive um, film to be coming from a, a filmmaker who hasn't done that much before because it does, uh, I think the style of it feels very cohesive and, mm -hmm. I think it's some. It feels very much in the same vein as something that Margot Robbie also produced, like I Tanya. Um, in yeah, I felt that too, Nicole. I, I got that vibe. Yeah, and I think I think it's interesting because Margot Robbie was a producer on both, so obviously that's a style that she likes. Um, but I think that it it kind of takes that style and and almost like a a little bit of a big short feel, and then makes it quite silly and makes it fit to the comic book um, theme quite well. Um, and I do, I also, I think it's fun in comic book films whenever there is like some writing and stuff on the screen because it kind of does harken back to the idea that like 
these come from comics and there's that whole beginning animated section. And I thought that that was quite cute yeah, as well. I like that too. A nice way to kind of place us mm. into the film and give us an idea of what we're going to see. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> the style of the whole thing I thought was really impressive. And like the, I, these are some of the best shot, best edited, best designed fight scenes I've seen in a movie in I can't even tell you how long. I can't go that far. I did see John Wick Chapter 3 after all. <laughs> okay. I, I have not seen the John Wick movies. But I, I, at any rate, I can't imagine those are more fun than the one in this that takes place in a fucking carnival. Yeah, sure. <laughs> I also think there's some of the most like unique fight scenes I've ever seen yeah. in terms of different choices of weapon and different settings and different styles of fighting and – um. I, I really I really liked that aspect of it that it felt like for a, for a movie with so many fight scenes they never felt repetitive or boring at all. I agree with that, especially because then what that tells you is that it's all rooted in character, and you know mm-hmm. for that to really uh, come true for for us as viewers, uh, you need uh, actors capable of making those characters come to life. And while I do think that Margot Robbie who is front and center in this movie than she was in Suicide Squad. I remember actually praising her work in Suicide Squad um, for how she brought Harley Quinn uh, to life for the first time on screen in a way that just felt so um, unique. Here, she's front and center and she's leading this film. And I I mean, you know, call me blasphemous or whatever you want, but I actually think that like her performance – as Harley Quinn, like in this movie, I'd put it up there with her work in I, Tanya and, you know, of like really like just best of the best. I, I know it's like not a prestige film or anything like that, but I think that her commitment to this role, um, the mannerisms, the facial tics, everything else, to me, it is equally as impressive and as immersive as what, say, like Joaquin Phoenix is doing with Joker, for example. Except that the accent kind of comes and goes. Oh, you, yeah, yeah, I didn't catch that. Uh, I am. Um, yeah, it's a little like not that it took me out of the movie at all, but like I definitely noticed. And I, I do wonder if that was almost a purposeful thing, and the idea of you know she's coming in and out of this persona a little bit as she mm-hmm. tries to figure out who she is without the Joker. Oh, um, that's interesting. You know. Because presumably yeah. before the Joker, presumably, you know, she wasn't putting on that uh, accent, if you'll call it that. Um, but I do, I would agree with you, Matt. I think that this is really strong work. And I think if you, like me, saw Bombshell a couple of months ago and then go in to see her as Harley Quinn in this, it really shows what a versatile actress she is. Oh, absolutely. Oh, yeah. Because I find so many actors who can do this sort of over-the-top camp thing can't play a normal role as well. Jim Carrey. Exactly. Well, exactly, <laughs> exactly. And I think it's really impressive whenever you have an actor who can do both of those equally well, equally, you know, astoundingly. And I, I just thought that what she was doing with Harley Quinn here was so fun in that it was so over the top and so kind of flamboyant and, and fantabulous. Um, but also it felt quite grounded in real emotions. Um, and I, I just thought that was really nice. Well, I'm very, very much excited for the fact that she's reprising the role in The Suicide Squad, which is being directed by James Gunn. So we'll we'll get a chance to see her play this character again, which <coughs> – excuse me – which for me uh, was all that I wanted when this was over. I, I wanted to see yeah. what else – she could explore with this character because, like I said, Suicide Squad, I enjoyed what she was doing there, but to see her front and center um, like this and really just have kind of this showcase role moment for her, um, it was exciting uh, to watch her as an actor like dive uh, deep into um, just all the possibilities that this role can offer her. And um, I'm looking forward to seeing that uh, a bit more so. I also really love the chemistry between her and... Um, who is it who played the um the the kid pocket? Oh, kid uh, kid. that would be. Uh, hold on, I have Ella J. Vasco. Yes. Okay. Yeah. The, their yeah. chemistry was so much fun, um, and I loved watching the two of them together. And I hope that there's more of them in the Suicide Squad or in another movie in the future because they're delightful. And I also. 
like all that being said, my favorite character in the whole movie is Bruce the hyena. <laughs> I want more Bruce. I want a Bruce standalone movie, Bruce spinoff sequel, Bruce TV show. I want it all. Other than some rough CGI, I I, I genuinely loved that that was her pet of choice. I thought that was hysterical. I, oh, it was it so was good. freaking perfect, especially because like he laughs like the yep. Joker. And then her naming it Bruce. I know. That's, that's, oh, it's such a nice touch. <laughs> I um. I also just want to say while we were talking about Ella J. Basco, who plays Cassandra Kane, that I thought that she did a really, really nice job with this role. I feel like the role of Cassandra, this little girl, is kind of the most real of all of the characters that we see in it. Oh, yeah. Um, and she has some really nice emotional moments. And I've literally made myself a note to not forget at the end of next year, whenever I'm trying to put together my like best youth performance um, list, that she really does some nice work in this film. Yeah, I'm glad that you're uh, taking yeah. note of that this early, too. I do my best to try and do that as well. It's just like yeah. sometimes these movies do get overshadowed by the prestige films that come out like later in the year yep. sometimes. So it's good to remember. Just second half of the year films. Yeah. yeah. Um, one thing that I, in terms of the rest of the cast though, cause I agree. I like Ella J Basco a lot. And I thought her chemistry with Margot Robbie was indeed great. Um, before we get to the other ladies, I do want to just come back to Ewan McGregor for one brief second here and just say that how much I enjoyed watching him let loose in wild and unpredictable ways. I did think there were moments where he was going a little too far with it, um, where I'm like, this guy, I I really want to be, like, intimidated and scared of this guy. Like, I want to feel that power that he uh, commands and why he is such a threat to uh, Harley Quinn and to the other uh, ladies in the film. But I I felt like it kind of came and went, although I I never, not once, did I... um, stop having fun with watching him because I, I just feel like I have not seen Ewan McGregor like this free, if you will. Um, especially yeah. during the tribal head scene where he's like showing off all the different uh, heads in his apartment Love or whatever that. it was. Yeah. So it was such a perfect, like pretentious European type of affect <laughs> that he was putting on. And I was like, Oh my God, you're insane. I love it. I actually kind of liked that it wasn't like, oh, here's this big, big, bad, horrible villain. And, you know, he he manages to make it really fun and then have these pockets of like extremely intimidating behavior so that it almost feels like you can see where someone like Harley Quinn might underestimate him. Um, especially while she has this protection while she's the Joker's girlfriend and then she's not expecting him to be as bad as he is and I do think maybe that's part of the purpose of that scene in the club with that um, woman is to remind us that he actually does wield you know a bit of power and that people listen to him and he actually is quite sadistic it's not you know it's not just um, in trying to get what he wants it's all the time like there is He's not doing that for any reason. He's just mad and he can do it. But I also will say I would like for there to be like a thousand films um, with Ewan McGregor in them where there's also a Diamonds Are a Girl's Best Friend remix. Um, because you know that felt very tongue in cheek. I was like, I see what you guys are doing. <laughs> I loved that sequence. I loved everything about it. <laughs> I was living except for except for the pink satin jumpsuit that Margaret was wearing that it didn't it, just just do the dress just do the dress but those kind of like, like it, wink it so wink uh, moments like yeah. that it, it, th- those are kind of things that in this type of movie it made me wonder um, what else was possible uh, a spoiler alert uh, slightly you know I kept wondering if by the end of the movie for just some crazy like Bruce Willis just showed up at the end of Split. Holy fuck, this is an unbreakable shared universe thing. I was wondering if Joaquin was going to show up at some point. like Because I was just like, yo, this movie? Who knows? Who knows what direction this movie is going to head in, you know? And, and like that just an unpredictability um, always kind of kept me fascinated with what was going on on screen. Because the movie was very self-aware. And it knew exactly, I think, what its audience wanted. And so you just kept on wondering, like, what else are they going to give us? I I agree. And I, I really kind of loved that feeling of, like, well, what's going to happen next? And, like, anything could happen. But at the same time, 
that made it kind of more disappointing that even though it felt like anything could happen at any moment, they didn't they didn't run with that as much as I think they could have. Like it could I there is a version of this movie that is even crazier than this, and I think it's better. Maybe. Maybe, maybe you're right. Uh, I could see like why some people are comparing it to Deadpool in that regard, though, if that makes sense. Like, could, the, like the self-aware, over-the-top humor aspect yeah, of it. Yeah, but that's like, but Deadpool went that step further, you know? Yeah, like he was really meta and like really committed to being over the top in every way, and this like had its moments of being over the top and then its moments of not being so over the top. Yeah. This is not a negative, okay? I told you all yeah. I would get the negatives out of, out of the way in the beginning. Uh, this is more of a mixed thing. Um, the rest of the cast, for me, uh, I... I I I I wanted more, especially from Mary Elizabeth Winstead. Uh, but I feel like other characters like Black Canary, um, you know, and um, Renee Montoya, played by Rosie Perez, like I felt like they got more to do. Um, and I, I, I did feel a bit of an imbalance uh, with the other uh, characters in The Birds of Prey, so much so that I... Um, I, I don't know. I, I I just wanted I wanted more. I didn't feel like their characters were as fully fleshed out as as I as I would have liked. What I want is for them to get their own film now, <laughs> like a well, sequel to this. Setting that up. Exactly. And I actually I really really loved everything that Mary Elizabeth uh, Winston was doing. Like that bit. Oh my god! Yes. In the mirror, where she's <laughs> practicing in the mirror, how she's going to introduce herself, and I liked that it kind of kept her as this mysterious figure until later in the film because I think it, it really kind of built her up and then she's not the scary intimidating person. She's so uncool. <laughs> I like, love it so much. It felt like this sort of character that I could see like if Phoebe Waller-Bridge was going to be in a comic book movie this would be her character. Yeah. <laughs> oh like, totally. The whole uh, they call me Huntress thing <laughs> it was hysterical. And maybe that's the thing. Maybe because I was enjoying uh, so much those little bits, I I, I wished there was more. Yeah. Uh, but I, I also realized, too, that this is a movie of setup as well. So it's kind of a victim of just circumstance in that regard. So you're right, Nicole. I think that with a sequel, um, my wish will be fulfilled that we'll get more of them. <laughs> so fingers crossed. I honestly, even if they just wanted to give me a straight up Huntress movie, I'd be down for it. Yeah. Yeah. I Although I have to say the... um. The car, the little plastic toy car that she gave to um, Cassandra, it, that really confused me for a long time because it, in the flashback and the first time she gives it to her, like, I couldn't tell that that was what it was. Okay, Dan, I thought that I was just stupid. I'm so glad I, it wasn't just I like, I'm like, is that a cell phone? Like, is that some sort of, like, secret phone that's going to, like, call someone or do something like what is this thing that they keep passing around and then it turned out to just be like a, a sentimental uh token from her youth and from the terrible trauma and i was just like that oh that's all <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah i also while we're while we're talking about this cast i want to say i really liked everything that rosie perez was doing here as this you know, uh, 80s cop show style cop. <laughs> um, I, I thought that all of that, the tongue-in-cheekness about that was really cute. But I also have to say, it's really nice to see a woman of her age, and she, I mean, she's in her 50s, in a comic book movie, not playing someone's mother or aunt or anything like that, but her own character. Like someone who is actually kicking ass. Right, who is literally out there in the middle of the fight. Because that's not yeah. something that we get very often. Um, well, I mean, everyone was shitting themselves over Viola Davis in Suicide Squad. And she was literally just there to stand there and look intimidating. Yeah. Basically, yeah. <laughs> but I thought that that was, it was really nice. And obviously, like, you also have to give it to them. They did build a very uh, diverse cast in terms of, of race and age. And, and I think that that, you know, deserves to be uh, lauded and hopefully, you know, other films of this type will take it kind of as as proof that it can work. Absolutely. I mean, I will say, I, I loved how 
they set up all these characters and sort of explained the the comic book quirks, mm-hmm. you know, so to speak, like Harley's whole psychologizing thing and uh, Renee Montoya's 80s cop movie thing and Huntress's del- awkwardness, basically. <laughs> um, but the one thing that 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 kind of bothered me was Black Canary's voice power. <laughs> yeah. And like I like I get that it's the DC universe and the DC universe also includes like Aquaman and Superman. Um, you know, Superman and aliens and things, but like that and I like I know from the Arrow TV show like what Black Canary's power is, but that really came out of nowhere. I agree, Dan. I had forgotten that we were in that sort of universe. <laughs> yeah. And I was so confused for like 10 seconds. I was like, wait, well, oh, oh, right. This is that kind of comic book movie. Okay. Like, yeah, it's so yeah. weird because like it seems more grounded in not like reality, reality, but like the real world kind of like mm-hmm. – I'm not explaining it well, but like, it seems more like, you know, we're in a non-magical, non-sci-fi world, I guess, until that moment. And you're like, oh, yeah, right. It felt like they should have maybe brought that in earlier. Like, I could have seen, okay, here's an idea that also could have made this scene work. Maybe if, like, in that scene earlier in the club with Ewan McGregor's character and that woman, maybe if she's singing at that point and she accidentally... Uh, goes into that power because she sees this occur and is upset about it or something like that that would kind of have introduced it earlier on. I think I would have I mean, been more okay with it before it just suddenly gets used. And I'm like, wait, why didn't you do that sooner? I feel like, like they kind of do with the, you know, when she's singing at the club and she like shatters a martini glass. But it's not the fact that it's a superpower and that it does like – yeah what she does in the end. Like that's so much of a leap. I agree. Yeah. Like it'd be one thing if she was like a vocalist and a scientist or something. And, you know, they set it up where like, she has determined the perfect pitch to do whatever and has trained her voice so that she can hit it. But they didn't do that. (laughs) Uh, So what I want to do now is I want to pass it over to final thoughts um, that you, uh, Nicole uh, might have and uh, we'll get into uh, grades and any Oscar potential for this movie as well. So, uh, Nicole, what final thoughts do you have that we didn't talk about with Birds of Prey? Okay, two two things, uh, both quick. Um, the first is that I think that this is a really great example of what non-forced feminism looks like. It's a movie about women, made by women. Um, and you can tell, obviously Twitter's been talking a lot about that hair tie scene, but it's so true. Um, but also... You know, there was a lot of talk earlier um, last year whenever Avengers Endgame came out and there was that very forced female superhero power scene. Yeah. Um, And I think that, you know, Marvel has gotten it right before. I think there's that moment at the end of Infinity War with the she's not alone moment, which is a really great example of uh, doing this correctly. Um, But then in Avengers Endgame, you have that really great example of doing it wrong. And I think that this whole movie gets it very right. Um, None of these women feel like capitalized letters strong female characters they're all allowed to have their flaws and they're not just um strong because they are uh male characters who have been coded as female um they you know they get to care about female things too like clothes and their hair and um you know, there, there's that scene where they're all trying to protect the kid while they're fighting. And that also felt to me very much like a scene of, of female strength. Um, and I, and I just appreciated that it wasn't one of those films where to be strong characters, they had to reject things that were considered feminine um, because that's often what we get. My other thing is I do think that, you know, I, I appreciate that this movie isn't trying to make any grand statements about the world because um, that's not what I want from a comic book film. But I do think it has like a really nice underlying message of the idea that um, you can get out of a toxic relationship and it can be difficult and it can be hard, but that you are ultimately going to be better for it. And that even if there are those difficulties, you're better off out of that toxic relationship and not in it. Um, And I thought that, you know, the character of Harley Quinn and Joker have this long history uh, 
and with the idea of what a toxic relationship is. And I think they're very tied to that. So to get to see her outside of that and to get to see her overcome it, I think was actually really powerful. And I hope that a lot of people who might be stuck or who might be, you know, in the process of getting out of situations um, can kind of take some, take some strength from that. That was um, my, maybe actually my favorite thing about the movie itself was that it had something to say. Um, This is my final thought as well. There's a lot of lines of dialogue in the movie about male protection um, and how, protection from a man's point of view in this world and uh, aspects of our world also it's just another way of saying dominance Mm-hmm. And I liked that the movie had that message in there and it layered it in um, very subtly. Um, yeah. The independence aspect that you were speaking about with Harley Quinn uh, being out of this toxic relationship also plays into that in a way that it, it it wasn't, like you said, like a grandiose statement that was supposed to be like tremendously profound or anything like that. It's, but not, it's not a live in a society. <laughs> it's yeah. not just yeah. uh, entertainment for the sake of entertainment. It's not something that I found to be incredibly hollow. I actually did feel the good intentions uh, behind this movie while watching it. So that's, uh, you know, that's something to be commended because a lot of times a movie will always have something that it's trying to say, uh, whether it's about uh, family or if it's about acceptance or if it's about just discovering your inner potential or whatever it is, right? Uh, But so many times it just feels so... um, by the numbers and it's like oh god we've seen this before you know um here it actually felt it felt different i I can't explain exactly how uh but it it felt different because a i wasn't being beaten over the head with it and uh b i i guess i would chalk it up to there being a female screenwriter and female director i don't know if that is the exact answer but i think it counts for something so um, yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll definitely uh, draw some conclusions based on that. Uh, Dan, what about you? What final thoughts do you have there? I, I totally agree. I think one of the best things about this movie is that it makes these statements about big themes and, you know, comments on the world we live today, but it makes them by not seeming to make them, if that makes any sense. Yeah. Like they do, it doesn't go overboard and like we are going to make a statement with this movie like no it's layered into all the other fun stuff and it's you know the subtext and it's all these other things and it doesn't just come out and say it because that's the easy way and i kind of love that about the movie i i also think um (laughs) for being a visual medium surprisingly few movies embrace big, bold, bright colors in the way this movie does. And I am so thankful that it does so. <laughs> Matthew Libatique, baby. You love it. Um, all right. So from a grade standpoint, I'll start off because I have a feeling my grade's the lowest. Um, it is a very strong six for me. Like, very strong. I was thinking about putting it higher up but like i said that that screenplay there's some things in there um and also too i and it's gonna sound weird uh, but i i don't want to come off like i'm just overpraising this film because it's a movie about women by women i'm sorry i just don't want to this movie's got flaws i'm pointing them out it's not getting a pass necessarily uh but i would still highly recommend that people do check it out And the fact that people aren't checking out has been very disappointing because I do believe that actually of a lot of the new movies that are out right now, this is probably the best thing that is playing. And so I don't understand why with such a fun atmosphere, with a committed cast and with a nice fresh take on things, uh, despite a few bumps in the screenplay, sure, like why why are people not showing up to this? That's really infuriating to me. So um, my score is an honest one. It's one that... um, I'm not trying to pander or anything like that, obviously. Um, it's it's just what it is. So um, I'm, I'm, I'm a really, really strong six on that bad boy. Uh, Dan, what about you? I am at a seven. Okay. It's fun. I think, like, you know, my biggest problems with it, I even my big problems with it, you know, with the strange relationship to queerness and the, the completely unnecessary 
um, narrative backflips in the first act. Just like, in the end, those don't matter so much in just how much fun this thing is and how well the action sequences are shot and put together. Yeah, I mean, when it comes down to it, this movie is an action comedy and it delivers the action and it delivers the comedy. I don't think it's going to end the year as one of the best films of the year, but this is a good sight better than most other comic book movies I've seen recently. And Nicole? Um, one quick thing I did realize I forgot to say, which is that there's been a lot of chatter on Twitter about the women in this movie not being hot enough. Who the fuck is saying that? That is the fucking most bullshitty it's thing. It's the weirdest I'm thing sorry, to me, because may but... I just say, every woman in this is super hot. Um, I, but I, and I do think there is maybe something to be said with the idea of, like, Harley Quinn's costumes in this versus in Suicide Squad being more the kind of, um... Uh, sexy outfits that appeal to women versus men, maybe. Um, I think that, you know, the costuming in this seems very aimed at other women appreciating it. Um, But yeah, I just had to say, like, whoever is saying that, please stop. Um, But I ended up going with an eight, and I wrestled with this for a while on whether it would be a seven or an eight, but I think that it succeeds in what it's doing so well and I'm so entranced by the design of it and the stylization of the directing and I think it is really well directed and it has really great performances and I like Dan said I don't I don't think you know it's going to make my top 10 for the year but I could honestly see it staying in my top 20 and it feels like something I'll probably watch again once it's available uh, to stream and uh, I do think that it is one of the better comic book movies made lately, and particularly one of the better DC comic book uh, movies made ever, maybe. Um, so yeah, I ended up going with with an eight. Yeah, somebody asked me to like rank this against other uh, DC uh, comic book movies, and I was like, yeah, listen, I'm not a fan mostly of the DC <laughs> movies, so yeah, naturally yeah. it's going to be pretty high for me. Um, yeah. But that doesn't take away from the fact that it is still a good time, and you know, it knows what it is, commits mm-hmm. to it. And it delivers, you know. Yeah. So, what more could you uh, want, you know, in, in in the end after something like that? So, uh, the last Suicide Squad film uh, received an Oscar nomination and win for best makeup and hairstyling. Uh, now the question needs to be asked: uh, Could Birds of Prey follow a similar path? Do, could, do we see a makeup nomination in its future? I'm going. I'm going with no. Uh, I don't think. I could see this getting nominated for makeup where I could see it potentially getting nominated depending on how other things shake out this year is in costumes now that we have the expanded uh, categories and, and everything. I the, the thing watching the movie that I thought it most stood a chance for, although let's be honest, this is there's no there's going to be no Oscar love for this movie no i don't think it's it's coming out too early in the year and it's going to be perceived as something you know beneath them even though it's i don't think it's really not um but the thing that watching it that i thought this deserves recognition by the end of the year is the production design yeah it that everything about that carnival fight scene is just fantastic Meanwhile, I, I actually echo Nicole. I, I'm, I'm a big fan of the costumes in this. Uh, and I would like to be able to keep that out of the conversation. But I, I agree with you, Dan. I think no matter any Oscar talk that we have about this movie, pure and simple, is going to be way forgotten about uh, mm-hmm. by the time we head over to next year. Especially if we end up in a situation where they're just nominating the same nine or ten films for every category. <laughs> <laughs> so Yeah. There you go. I think we would we would have to see some pretty uh, disappointing production and costume design for the rest of the year for this to to stay in. I, I've like kind of conceded now that like whenever we talk about Oscar potential from movies that yeah, yeah. we are talking about potential, but let's be real, it's really not going to happen. I almost yeah. feel like now that this section of the podcast is more for the MVP Film Community Awards uh, for yep. to just keep our listeners like in the know to be like, oh, let me note that down so I remember to put that on my ballot next year. You know. Yeah. I- 
say I don't think it's maybe outside the realm of possibility that it could get some production and costume design nominations at some of the, um, you know, critic awards and, and things like that. Like, I, I see a world where it shows up maybe at the Guild uh, yeah. for, like, the fantasy yeah, category sure. or something like that. Sure. Yeah. I could see that happening. Uh, but, yeah, no. No. <laughs> in any event, um, this is uh, this has been this has actually been a fun movie to discuss. Actually, uh, like in you know, as I said uh, before, uh, compared to a lot of the other films that are uh, playing right now, and I'm not talking about the films from last year. I'm talking about the new releases. Uh, this has definitely been a nice, uh, fresh movie to discuss. So um, definitely. Uh, an uptick, if you will, from uh, some of the stuff that we've uh, had to watch recently. In any event, uh, Dan, where can they find you on the internet? You can find me on Twitter at Dance and Dan on Film. Nicole? You can find me at Nicole Ackman 16. And you can find me at Next Best Picture. Uh, one last question before we all go uh, Dan, what is your ideal breakfast sandwich? My ideal breakfast. Oh, wow. oh, God. I, you caught me very much off guard with this. Um, okay. So I would, since I don't do eggs, I would say like a breakfast burrito with tofu scramble, peppers, um, some like chili powder, and uh, bits of bacon and sausage. And of course, cheese. Nice. Nicole? Okay, so I think about this a lot. <laughs> um, in the UK, they have pret, um, a manger like they do in New York. They have this breakfast sandwich <laughs> that they do not have in the US locations. It's a brioche roll. It's um, some, what we would call Canadian bacon, what they call bacon. It's a, um, like a, a boiled egg, but it's it's sliced onto it and warm. And then this like aioli sauce. And I truly think about this on, like, a weekly basis because I used to eat them all the time. Uh, and that is my ideal breakfast sandwich. <laughs> Potato bread, egg whites, two mm. sausage patties, cheese. <laughs> all right, here we go now. Avocado. Ooh. Onions. Peppers. Man, I'm going to buy one right now. <laughs> <laughs> do it you have been listening to the next best picture podcast you can subscribe to us on itunes soundcloud google play stitcher tune and player fm acast Castbox, and also on spotify be sure to leave us a review on itunes let us know what you think of the show we really appreciate your feedback there and your support which you can lend on over at patreon for one dollar minimum a month you can get some exclusive podcast content from us thank you so much for listening as always and we shall see you all next time That was a very clever way to end that. Well, well yes, done. it was. <laughs>